before we officially launch into this morning, and just I'm excited about what God is doing. Um, you know, as we're launching into our small group study, and um, but as we've been praying and just you know really seeking God over the last several weeks, uh, I'm just really aware of His presence uh, with us. And it's one of those things, again, you know, maybe I'm aware of something that you're not. You're like, well, Steve, this is like the worst of times, right? But as I sense about what God is doing at Vintage, and I sense uh, his movement, I sense really God coming and fighting on behalf of his children. Uh, the picture I have, and, and I, I say that, and like, there's this deep resolve in me of the knowledge of Jesus, right? I'm living this in this confidence of his presence. And I'm there for the picture I have kind of takes me back. And I think I've shared this before. So if you remember me telling you the story, uh, just enjoy it again. If you don't, here's a new story for you. But when I was about six, seven years old, I had a group of buddies and we were down at the creek and the creek was about three houses down from us and kind of down this big hill. I'll never forget uh, down there. And I was in first, second grade. And there's this kid named Tim and Tim was about twice his size as of me. He was like in fourth or fifth grade. And I, I'm sure I said or did something I probably shouldn't have said or done to someone that much older than me. But I kind of like I just said something, right? I said something, and and uh, and, it, I, and I offended him uh, greatly to the point that he felt like, you know, it was his role to choke me to the point I felt like I was going to die, right? He just felt like he was completely uh, obligated to do that. And so literally, I'm sitting in the moment, and he grabs me, and he starts choking me to the point like I'd never been choked before, like I'd played choke with friends, right? But I'm talking like he is red faced. He's choking me, and I'm telling myself, I'm about to die. I can't scream. I can't do anything. And all my friends are lame. They're sitting there going, oh, right? What are we doing? Because Tim was bigger than all of them, too, right? And they're choking me, but all my friends are like, there's noise, like there's a clamor happening, right? And I'm sitting in the process of feeling like I'm dying. Can anyone say amen to feel like they're dying, right? I have a moment, like, I feel like I'm dying. I'm like, literally, my life is literally being choked out of me. And, I'm, and you're kind of laughing, but I was literally thinking, I'm about to die, right? So thank you for laughing at my expense, right? And so, anyway, so I'm having this moment, and all of a sudden, I hear something. It sounds like an animal coming at full speed through the woods. True story. To the point, Tim, in his chokehold, turns us both around and looks to see my giant of a father come running through the woods. We're talking, he is like leaping small buildings with a single bound. I mean, he is coming like he is. Listen, it's a hill I don't walk down. I slide on my butt down this hill. And my dad comes at full speed. I mean, this is back when he was still in his 30s. I mean, he was and he was an athlete. I mean, he could run the he ran the 400 and some crazy time in high school. Right. I mean, he's comes bounding down this hill and he lands at the bottom and the earth shakes in my mind. Right. And he said, and, his, and, and in my mind, it's this really deep voice. What is going on here? All right? And Tim goes, nothing. <laughs> All right? Nothing. Oh, and he just takes off running, right? And my dad comes over to me, and I'm like, yeah, you better keep on running, right? right? There's that whole moment because everything shifted when my dad came. I went from, listen, I went from feeling like I was about to die suffering to my dad standing not in front of me, but standing beside me, letting me know that he is with me and that I am with him. And so if we come in, and here's the thing, it was because of the power and the dynamic of our relationship together. 
And so this morning, as we kind of dive into what I believe God wants to do in the next six, seven weeks in, in our small group study and our processing and our talking through you know, this God's at war study we're going to dive into, I want you to allow the context of relationship with Jesus and this beautiful picture what I just painted for you, I want that to define, maybe, listen, I want it to define whether it's your experience or the possibility of what's true. Because you know what I mean in that. I could say, so feel that right now. And you're like, okay, how? <laughs> right? And in the moment, it's really God's movement. But that's what I want you to hear me say is I believe of God's movement towards us to bring us to that place of not standing in front of us, but standing beside us. If you've seen, right, the, the Prince Caspian, right, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy, I've talked about a hundred times, Lucy walks out with a little, little, her little, like, her little dagger, and the army lasts until Aslan stands beside her and lets out his roar of, like, I dare you because I know what's gonna happen, right? And so when we come into this moment, I want you to recognize this dynamic of relationship, of God's love for us, of the, that we actually have a love to forsake because we've so known his love and the power of his love for us and this dynamic of reality that maybe we're not experiencing but is true whether we feel it or not. And we say, Jesus, as we dive in, may this understanding define the launching into a study on the gods at war idolatry. Because, listen, you've probably been in, in churches well, there's been a lot of speak against idols and not very much speak about the overwhelming nature of God's love in the context. That God deals with idolatry, not because he's angry, but because he is with us, because he so overwhelmingly loves us that he can't, he's so jealous in his love for us that he will not allow idols to stand. There are gods at war for our lives. And so as we come in, this is, this, this, the small groups begin this week. If you have not signed up for a small group and you're still going to do that, please do that, right? I would love for all of you, I say with great urgency, sign up for a group. Why? Because we believe God is taking us somewhere, and we believe small groups is the way that one of the greatest ways this is going to happen. You're in a small group. You're with people. You're dealing with idols in the context of other commu- of community and other relationships, right? I want, if, if you can't do it, right? If you can't do it, then I'm requesting that every single one of you buy this this journal right here called God's at War. We call it a combat journal, right? God's at War. There are God's warring for our lives. I want you to buy this. It's eight bucks. You and your spouse both need one, okay? Why we do this? Because there's, listen, can you imagine, this is something so great about everybody doing the exact same thing, not just once a week, but Every day, it's just 10 minutes a day, and we're doing this together. And what we find is, at the end of 40 days, because we've all been doing the same thing, all reading the same scriptures together, and all praying similar prayers, it's just funny how we become unified. It's funny how we become one people. How we actually begin to flourish and function as one body, as Paul talked about in the New Testament. Okay? So the two things I'm asking... At least asking, I love you to sign up for a small group, but I'd at least ask you to be here on Sunday mornings for the next six weeks, okay? And to buy this combat journal and do it every day so we can do it together uh, with group. All right, who, who does not have this yet? Who does not own this yet? 
uh, Aragons, you get this. Ready to catch it? That's yours for free. All right? There you go. Don't tell Scott I gave that to you. Yeah, whatever. Don't tell Scott I gave that to you. You get mad at me, right? So you're somewhere back there, Scott Crawford. All right. All right. So let's dive in this morning again. So the idea then of, of beginning this God's at war is by defining this relationship that God has with us. What I want you to recognize is this. Marriage, like this, this, this God, God in relationship with us, listen, it was not an arranged marriage like we see in Judaism, right? It was, it was a chosen relationship. It was a chosen marriage, a chosen relationship, covenant relationship, okay? And so the idea is that, that God, then we see it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, He creates man and woman. He chooses to be in relationship with Him. They, they fail in that relationship, right? They have an idol of self and, and selfishness and they they eat of the apple and they break that relationship the rest of the old testament then is is god pursuing and wooing people so we see and say hey like genesis chapter 12 he says hey abram i i want you to be my people right he looked along around all the peoples of the earth and he said i choose you i choose you they didn't do anything they didn't earn it out of all the peoples on the earth, he chose the Jews, right? He says, Abram, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And so we see this, this chosen relationship, God in relationship with humanity. We see him just flourishing the relationship with Isaac and Joseph on down the line, right? We see it happening in Deuteronomy. He comes to Moses and says, I pulled you out of Egypt. Now I'm in relationship with you, but now I want to set up boundaries, for our relationship. I want to I want to establish the boundaries of this covenant. And so we see the law that's created. We remember, if you ever heard of the Ten Commandments, those things that we talk about, right? They argue about in our government for some reason, saying as if we shouldn't follow those. I don't really know why people get all upset about those, right? But the Ten Commandments, okay? And so what God's doing, He's doing something that every single one of us understand. Whoever been married or watched someone get married or knows someone who's married, every marriage relationship begins by coming and by setting boundaries, doesn't it? Now, I was just going to read you what was said to us by Tom Tanner when we got married. He says, will you, Steve, have Randall to be your wife, Will to, to, to live together in holy marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And in the moment, right, this long list of other lovers back here, right? I'm just kidding, right? All these other people back here, I turned away from them in front of family and in front of friends and in front of God. And I said, I forsake every other lover. I forsake them and I'll be faithful only to you as long as we both shall live. Instead of Deuteronomy chapter 4, God establishes this covenant by setting boundaries. And it says this in verse 15, right? He comes to the, he comes to the people and says, you saw, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, right? So basically he's saying, when you, when, when Moses stood before him out Horeb with the burning bush, there was not a form of an animal or a person or anything to worship. It was just a fire, right? So you saw no form that day. Therefore, because there was no form, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, 
whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping. Listen, the things the Lord is apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Listen, basically what he says is, stop worshiping things that I've given you as a gift. Right? Stop worshiping things that I've simply given you as a gift, right? But as for you, the listen, here it is. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, a really hot place out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. He's coming and he's establishing the nature of the relationship. Don't bow down and worship the stuff I've given you. And you are the people who are receiving an inheritance, everything that I have. He's establishing, saying, don't worship something else that gives you nothing. Come and bow down and worship the one and be in relationship with the one who gives you all things. So it's establishing the nature of this relationship, right? This, this covenant, setting the boundaries, right? Forsaking all those be faithful only to us, right? And in the moment, he names a primary issue that humanity will face, all of humanity will face in saying true to their commitment to God. Idolatry. He names idolatry. In fact, just a few verses later, he begins the Ten Commandments. The very first two, he says, I command you, you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. So the very first, like, I don't know about you, but the very, the first two things I always name for my kids of importance are usually the very first two things. I want to make sure they hear these two things, right? You can't create a list because they've broken a couple of things, so I say those first and add some things at the end. He's naming this. Why? Because idolatry, and I want you to write this down or look on the screen at this, idolatry is a primary issue God names as the reason why we break our covenant relationship with him. All of us. It's a primary issue that God names. He names idolatry. He names it. He talks about it. He, he makes it a primary issue. Why? Because he knows all of humanity, Old Testament, New Testament, and beyond, are going to wrestle with the nature of idolatry. Os Guinness points out that idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible. And one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the most, or it's one of the least meaningful notions. Our conversation would be, or the, most, or the least talked about. We just don't talk much about idolatry. Why? Because in our minds it seems obsolete, doesn't it? Talking about the Old Testament, but we don't, we don't necessarily see people bowing down to golden images with strange names today. Once I say you walked into someone's house and hold on a second, before you take your shoes off, bow down before the idol that I'm burning incense for, and I want you to worship it. Let's all come in and have watch the football game today, right? But nobody's still really doing that. You're not walking into these houses and let's say seeing these golden, like these golden statues in there, who like whatever, right? They're just not seeing us, and they're cutting themselves and like, oh, it's turning in circles, all that kind of stuff. Nothing, it's not happening. So in our minds, right, we think of these things becoming obsolete, although there are thousands of references to idolatry in Scripture, and they and, and they haven't expired, right? We haven't expired, right? We and and so in our idea. Idolatry then maybe becomes irrelevant. It seems obsolete to us, right? Yet again, idolatry, number one issue in the Bible, 
And that should raise caution for us. Idolatry is a big deal. It comes into every book. The first, uh, the, uh, there are more than 50 of the laws in the first five books that are aimed at this, I- this issue. In all of Judaism, it is one of only four sins then to which the death penalty was attached. Idolatry is a, a primary issue. It's a primary issue. And as we, as we look at life then through this lens, here's what becomes clear. For each of us as human beings, there is a war going on inside of us in which there are other lovers that are coming against our God and into our relationship with him and trying to take their place in a seat that belongs only to him. Forsaking all others. But he knows you, doesn't he? When was the last time you turned around and looked at another lover? I don't mean like a physical like person. I mean something that would take his place, something that you would give your attention and affection to other than him. When's the last time maybe you actually did turn and look straight at it? When's the last time you engaged it, gave yourself to it, right? Therefore, what if it's not about statues? What if it's not about statues? What if... The gods of here and now are not some cosmic deities with these bizarre names we can't pronounce. What if they take identities that are so ordinary that we don't recognize them as gods at all? What if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations, with our checkbooks? What if we are looking at what if idols are something that we engage in our search engines? On the World Wide Web, as we know it. Or time, in the context of our calendars. Gods that we face today can be anything. Anything that we face in life. Let me just name a few that my good buddy Tim Keller mentioned in one of his books. He says, here's a few things. I'm going to give you this list, all right? This list I'm going to give you is not an exhaustive list. I'm going to give you, like, you know how you look at a book sometime, and you can read, like, the first two things, and there's, like, this whole other stuff beyond it you got to pay for. So I'm going to give you the stuff right here for free. you got to buy this other stuff right here. I'm just kidding. You know, I'm getting on this whole thing. Right? Here's just a list of some things. Number one, just a few idols that we face in the evangelical church today, in the Christian church. Number one, family. Family is an idol. Children are an idol. Let me say this to you. I want you to press pause on that one. I, and, I, and you can stone me for this one, but I believe, moms, that the greatest idol in mothers' lives in the church today is their children. Everything in their life revolves around their children. Everything they do revolves around their children. They don't do kingdom things because they're children. They don't go and do stuff and do places, engage people's lives, but because they have their children. Or you have those poor, those dads who couldn't quite make it as a linebacker in high school. So by God, they're going to make their the child put them on a pedestal. They're going to live vicariously through their children, and they're going to sit there and push them and push them and press them. And, say, and like use words like, "Well, God is giving you this gift, and God's really enabled you to do this." And I also want to encourage it in you when in reality, when you when you when your son or daughter does not do well in their sport, do you get frustrated with them? Idol, if you get frustrated at your child giving everything they have on the field of sports, then you have an idol of your children. Children, 
romantic relationships, men, careers, beauty becomes an idol in you, your own personal beauty, but also finding beauty in your partner can be an idol. Your moral record, I mean, how true is that in the, in the, in the true blue bloods of the South? I mean, oh, don't let anybody know what we do. Well, this is what, what happens to the family stays in the family, right? Your moral record, your ministry success can be an idol, right? Making money, achievement, your own critical acclaim, your competence or your skill or simply your mind. I am so much smarter than most people, right? I am awesome. Your own competence, your skill, your political or your social record. I mean, how many of you find yourselves being a better Christian because you claim to be a Republican? Because every Christian's a Republican. We all know that. That's an idol in your life. If it literally becomes, comes between you. Listen, we're right now we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a shutdown because politics has become an idol and there's no bipartisanship. So let's stop and name this. What is an idol? Again, my good friend Tim Keller, I'm going to define it the way he does. What is an idol? It's on the screen. I want you to write it down. Take a picture of it. I want you to chew on this at least for the next six weeks and beyond. Please write this down. Please take a picture. Do something and don't forget this. If you listen, I'm going to give you if you don't understand what an idol is, you can't give language to it. You need to write this down and never forget it. Anything in your life that is so central to your being that you cannot have a meaningful life if you lose it. Anything in your life that is so central to your being that you cannot have a meaningful life if you lose it. Because the idea is, if I lose it, just leave it up there, if I lose it, I'm not sure how I can live. If I have it, then I have meaning. So what if, and this is kind of just throwing this out there, what if I told you, you can leave that up on the screen, people write that down, what if I told you maybe that every sin that you were struggling with, every discouragement you were dealing with, even the lack of person, purpose that you're living with is because of idolatry. Let me say that again. What if I told you that every sin that you're struggling with, every discouragement you were dealing with, even the lack of purpose you're living with, is because of idolatry? Imagine for a moment a, a man or a woman is, uh, they wake up and they're just coughing, right? They're coughing day in and day out, right? They go to bed, they can't sleep, they can't work in the day. They're coughing, coughing, coughing. So finally one day, they say, I'm going to the doctor. They go to the doctor, they, they come in, they're coughing, the doctor sees it, wow, it's a really bad cough, let's run some tests on you, right? Let's run some tests, they begin to run some tests. Doctor, doctor runs the tests and goes, ooh, they have lung cancer. They have lung cancer. And he comes back in and goes, oh, I can't break this news to him. He's about to die. So I'll just give him some cough medicine, right? I'll go ahead and cover the symptoms of what they're dealing with, but I'm not actually going to deal with the issue at hand because, well, that's just to be too touchy-feely. And right, they're living their own personal life. I don't want to infringe upon their own personal rights and their own personal decisions, right? So I'm not going to tell them what's actually killing them. I'm just going to take care of their symptoms. You see, people walk into church every week struggling, hurting, stressing, cheating, lusting, spending, worrying, quitting, self-medicating, avoiding, and searching. It's the symptom of idolatry in their hearts, and they're trying to deal with it. Oh, God, give me, just help me to not lust after so-and-so. Well, why don't you deal with idolatry 
idolatry of finding value in something else other than Jesus, and that lust will be taken care of. Deal with the idol that's producing the symptom, right? Deal with the root that's bringing about the fruit. And so there's this nature then of, of dealing with all of these issues, right? These symptoms that have a deeper core to it. I mean, Tiffany Kingsville, she's a counselor, she'll tell you when she meets with people and like talking through issues, what she's talking about is through the issues over here, the symptoms of always oh, a deeper root. There's something that's going on, something that's happening, that's happened, some choice made, some wrong done too. And so in this, right? They come, they show their struggles, they unload their frustrations, even to confess their sins. It's the fruit of idolatry. And so when we come to this place, we have to get to the point that we talk about the true illness rather than just symptoms, the true issue, which is always, and I know it's dangerous to say always, but always idolatry, idolatry. So we move forward in Deuteronomy. Moses has died. Joshua was taken over. Joshua was taken over. And now Joshua in Joshua 24, he's a, he's a, he's about to die. He's about to die. And like every good leader, he brings his family around him. He says, all right, I'm about to die. And before I die, we're going to have a very personal conversation. And in this conversation, I'm going to make sure we get everything straight, right? All of my affairs in order, all of your affairs in order. We're going to have a real honest conversation about what you're wrestling with. So what does he do? He sits down and he begins by telling their story. Basically, what he's doing is he's renewing their vows, right? Have you ever seen people do that? They've been married for an extended period of time, and their marriage is like a fresh and new, and they want to love one another, so they renew their vows to one another to express their commitment to their spouse, right? It's always a neat thing. And so Joshua is coming and doing this. He's having a moment of making sure these vows are renewed before he dies, so they'll stay true to God. And so what did he do? He comes in, he tells a story uh, about, he tells, tells a story about, about him leading them into the promised land, right? He tells the story uh, about crossing the Jordan River with the elders and, the, and everything, the, 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 the Jordan River parting as they came in, right? He tells the story of the walls of Jericho coming down and how God had fought for them and how God was good to them. And, and God, basically he was telling the story of God's faithful relationship to them. He's telling the story of God and their marriage covenant relationship together. And he comes in in verse 14 and 15, very familiar probably to you. He says, now that I've told this story, now fear the Lord and serve him always in faithfulness. Excuse me. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served on the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you see what's happening, right? He's having this moment, renewing vows, this defining moment by telling the story of God, their story, their, their need for commitment, the, the vows they've already made. He's, he's renewing their vows in this moment saying, all right, you've come to a crossroad in this place. Who are you going to serve? You have a choice. 
right? So the first thing we see is I want, that we see in this is this understanding that all of us are worshipers. Understand that all of us are worshipers. Again, Tim Keller said, every individual will rely on something or someone. We all create pseudo-saviors. We're always going to look to something to fulfill us, something to sustain us, someone to complete us, someone to help us, someone to fulfill us or something. We're always looking for something. He's saying, Understand that all of us are worshipers. Joshua didn't give another answer, none of the above. Right? Remember when you're those tests that you would take, right? The multiple choice. And you get down like E, none of the above. You're like, oh, dang it. Are you serious? I hated those. I'm like, well, I don't really know if any of those are in. And none of the above seems like a great choice for me, right? Then like, but he didn't give that. There's no none of the above opportunity, right? There's no, there's no option for that. All of us, all of us, are worshiping and have an idol of some sort, something, right? This worshiping of something. Peter Kreft, the philosopher, put it this way. The opposite of theism is not atheism, it is idolatry. The opposite of the belief in God is not a belief in not in God. He's saying it's, it's idolatry because even atheists have humanism that they're bowing down to and worshiping. The self. And they're exalting self above everything else. And so the idea is there's no, I'll just quote it again, the opposite of theism is not atheism, it's idolatry. There's always something or someone that we're looking to to fulfill and to satisfy and to gratify our longing. Something is on the throne of our heart. The second thing we see we have to do that Joshua calls us to is identify the gods at war for your heart. We must identify the things, the other lovers that are pursuing us from behind, wooing us and whispering to us, just come back here. I can satisfy you. Three questions, diagnostic questions. Like, you know, when you go to a, doc, you go to a you, doctor, ask you all sorts of questions, right, to diagnose your issues. Number one, what are you most disappointed with? What are you most disappointed with? Because what we are most disappointed with often reveals where we have put our hope. Isn't that true, right? Where we put our hope then reveals this God, whatever on our heart, whatever we go to, right? So, so ident- what, are, what are you most disappointed with in life? Process that. It doesn't mean you can't have disappointment. I mean that disappointment that is so overwhelming that you find yourself doing something, saying something that you regret later. Right? Someone disappoints you and just sends you off the ledge. So like you're shooting off emails and making phone calls and bad-mouthing someone to somebody. Second question, what do you sacrifice your time and money for? I believe the greatest idol in our culture is time, even more so than money. What, what are, where do you sacrifice your time for? What do you give the best of your time to and for? Right? The word serve appears seven times in Joshua's speech. Who or what you serve is revealed by how you spend your time and how you spend your money. And the third thing, where do you go when you're hurt? Where do you go when you're hurt? A great, listen, a great, a great issue that arises and that, that speaks to idolatry in our life is something bad happens and your first instinct is to call someone or go to something. If you find yourself when a problem happens and you get hurt and you immediately run to someone, 
That can, now there's nothing wrong, right? There's nothing wrong. You know what I mean? Like internally, with your heart, with the best of yourself, you, you, instead of turning to the Lord, instead of turning to the one who can actually satisfy and gratify and give you answers and bless and move and all that kind of stuff and actually bring an answer to your problem, you find yourself going to someone or something, right? Where do you go when you're hurt? These are just diagnostic questions, right? This helping you process this idea of idols in your own heart. The third thing Joshua makes clear is you have to make a worship choice today. So he's, he, I'm not sure what it looked like, but I'm going to assume this really elderly man, he died, he was 108 years old, something like that. He's standing probably, someone helping him, maybe getting him like a platform so he can speak out to the group. I don't know what, I don't know what it looks like, but he's got everyone around him. Maybe he just spoke to the leaders and the leaders then gave it out, I don't really know. But he comes and he's speaking this message about their vows and their covenant and their relationship, right? He's bringing them in. And basically what you could say in the moment, he's saying, listen, guys, we've come to a crossroads. We've come to a crossroads. You can choose. You need to choose whom you're going to serve. You have a choice. We've committed ourselves as the people to God. But, man, you can, you can turn and worship other gods. That's your choice. As for me, I want you to know, basically, as me, as prophet, as one speaking on behalf of God to the peoples, it's not me, that's Joshua speaking, okay, I should probably sit down so you don't get confused, right? But in the moment, right, he's saying, we choose as prophet, as one speaking on behalf of the Lord, his will is we will serve the Lord, me and my family, for the rest of our days. He's making the choice at the crossroads, right? So the idea then for Joshua, the verb tense, right, this present tense imperative, choose this day, has in mind, you chose God, you choose God, you will continue to choose him, right? I chose, am choosing, and will choose for the rest of my life. And so the idea for idolatry is I don't have a wedding with God, which I'm now moving forward with him. I have a wedding in which in my marriage every day, I'm dealing with every other lover that presents itself before me, right? So what we do, so how do we do this, right? How do we make a, a worship choice today? The first thing you do is appreciate what God has done in you. Isn't the story again and again in Scripture? People are beginning to struggle, so every day they would tell the story of God Every day at the dinner table and around the fire. Why? Because if you tell the story of God every day, it will rekindle your passion and your love for him every day and make you committed to him. And so is what Joshua was doing, right? We see in verse 2 to 13, he's recounting the incredible things that God has done for people to remind them of everything that he has done and celebrating what God has done. And so he's saying to us, right, appreciate what God has done. Men, let me tell you something that I do. I got uncomfortable in the first service. You get uncomfortable again. It's fine. I'm a human male like every single one of you. And a good-looking girl with a body that I recognize as being whatever, right, I sit there and go, Wow. And in that moment, sometimes, there is a choice, right? Do I continue to look, and I hear this voice, this other letter behind me saying, you can cheat on your wife because she will satisfy you. Like every single one of you. And let me tell you what I do every time that happens. 
Every single time I sit down, I sit there, I stop them, and this happens in the blink of an eye, I tell my story again of my relationship with Randall. I remember us dating. I remember our relationship together. I remember all of our good times. I remember all of our really horrible times that we had to work through and became stronger when we got on the other side of. I remember our amazing sex life, right? I remember our our children and us having them together, right? I just sit there and tell the story. I re- we sit there, I tell the story about the beautiful day. I love my kids, they're right here, but I tell the beautiful story of the day that they leave, right? And they leave and we go, woohoo, we got them out of here. Now what are we going to do together, right? Because we love our kids, but man, goodbye, we're out of here. We're going to travel the world together and we'll send you a postcard, right? And I tell the story of our marriage and our life together, together, and all of a sudden I go, Oh, forsaking that, I give myself to her again today, and I look behind and say, no way to any of that. I give myself to you, Randall, and to you only forsaking all others, and be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. I tell you again, God, thank you for her, and I'm following Jesus, and I'm following with my wife. Appreciate what God has done. Remember and tell the story again and again and again. The second thing we must do making worship choice today, recognize who God is. Verse 19, I want you to, listen, you probably don't know God this way. I'm about to let you into a little secret. It reminds the people that God is a holy and an unbelievably jealous lover, a jealous God. He will not share the hearts of his people with false gods. And when other gods begin to speak over here, that's why Joshua said, listen, you have to make a choice because by God, God ain't going to be okay with you worshiping him and having your other idols over here. He's going to cut that off and you better make a choice today whom you're going to serve or he will come and cut it for you. He is a jealous lover. And he will come in a jealous man. I mean, how, how many of you know, men, the last, if you ever cheat on your wife, God forbid your wife find out. Because it ain't going to be good. At all. And God's even holier and more just than that. Third thing, make a worship choice today. You need to smash all other gods. you got to smash all other gods. Verse 23 says, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord today. Throw them away. Smash the idols. When they come up, you smash them. You deal with them because you're a jealous lover. You cannot miss the context of the story and the context of idolatry without the understanding he's a jealous lover. And it's his love and the covenant of relationship and marriage that we have with him that we talk about the issue of idolatry. It's not idolatry standing by itself. It is us standing in relationship with the living God who loves us, who created us, who died for us, who has now lived for us every day of his life. He is in a perpetual ongoing relationship with us and he will not allow other lovers to stand in the place where he is supposed to be we're not going to stand at the altar with with idol god in you it's not going to work he says i love you and i'm too committed to our relationship and my devout faithfulness to it to allow you to stand with these symptoms birthed from idolatry being and defining your entire life I love you too much. 
and I'm committed to our marriage, even when you are not. But I will put my foot down and say no to other lovers being in bed with us. That's not okay. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come with the weight of your love this morning and that you would place your finger on that sensitive place of our heart where idols try to reside. God, you love us too much to, to let us stand in that place, God, of having other lovers because, God, they never satisfy. Every day they satisfy less and less and less and less. And, Father, we step into the season of talking about idolatry and other lovers. Lord, let's just be honest. 99% of us are calloused to this conversation because we think it's for somebody else. And the reality is this is something that 100% of us in this room face on a daily basis. And we're only lying to ourselves, God, if we believe we don't deal with this. Holy Spirit, I'm asking today that you would come out of the fullness of your love and expose idols Father, we recognize at Vintage this is going to create chaos in some people's lives. They begin to deal with their, to deal with their idols. So that's the story of Acts 19. Chaos broke out and they dealt with idols. Lord, we're asking for protection today for your people who, who are trying to be faithful to you. God, I pray that you would, as they begin to deal with their idols, that, Lord, you would guard them, you'd protect them, that you would fight for them. They would see you as that father who comes bounding down the hill to fight for them. And to run off the other lover. And when you come, God, you come with your weapons saying nothing is going to hinder for me from my relationship with my child. If they want to, in my, my lover, if they want to be in relationship with me. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you would, that you would stir us and stir this deep resolve of your heart, God, to do away with other lovers. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning as we... Uh...